Welcome everyone to the next set of videos on big data systems. And in this set of videos, we'll talk about file systems and more specifically about distributed file systems in a big data context. And um, in order to do so, we'll start with basics about file systems. And uh, so we'll cover what is a file system in general, where does it store data and what is the interface? and then uh, talk about the network uh, file system one of the common distributed file systems found in many clusters and before we really go into the google file system and the hadoop distributed file systems as big data file systems and after that after covering these two we'll talk more about fault tolerance and using erasure coding uh, to make things more reliable and finally, in order to get more performance out of the file system, we'll talk about file formats as last point uh, in these videos. And with that, we're actually, we've covered the infrastructure in the last set of videos, and we're now in the file systems layer. And so file systems are required for many applications and in big data systems, it's really the basis for most data storage. So many big data systems actually rely on file system capabilities for their functionality, for things like replication, for example. So they won't, won't do their own replication, they'll use the file system to cover this. But before we go into that detail, let's talk about uh, file systems in more general and what is a file system uh, yeah, in the first place. So a file system is basically an abstraction that the, the programmer and the user can use to interact with files. And it's an abstraction on top of a device. And so the, the common specification that's used in many systems is the POSIX specification, which is also called the single Unix specification um, that gives you file locking and directories. So the access to individual files and the concept of directories. And files themselves are then actually byte vectors um, or arrays that contain data uh, that is stored somewhere in external storage. And I mean, doesn't necessarily have to be external storage, but this is what we commonly think about if we talk about file systems. And external storage in that sense is something that's not close to the CPU, meaning not RAM, not a cache, but it's something like disk or SSD. So one of the external devices is the hard disk drive. And this is comprised of several magnetic disks, actually platters that rotate fast and where a head reads the data of the device. And because of this physical movement and actually this how the data is read, um, the, the throughput and performance of these devices doesn't really change anymore. So there we are actually at physical limitations already. So these, these platters rotate with 15,000 rounds per minute. And if they would rotate much faster, then actually the device would probably explode. So just because of the forces uh, coming from the rotation. And But however, what changes in these devices is the density. So how much data we can actually put on them. And this is because of this density, also the, the price still drops. So it's a fairly cheap device in order to store data. And you can see over the years, so I have the data here from 2014 on, and I just checked this recently for 2020, we're 
going down, down, down in terms of price uh, per terabyte. So we're now at 16 euros per terabyte. And one of these drives can actually these days store up to 20 terabytes of data. So, and as we saw last time uh, in the data center hardware, one server can store have many drives in them, right? So we can have just uh, like a, a server tray with, I don't know, 20, 40 uh, hard drives. And in that sense, you can already store a lot just in one single enclosure. And, but the, the performance is, is okay, but not that great. So we have a four to nine millisecond seek time, which means if we're reading random data off a device, this just will take some time. And these devices, because they're not so, so super fast, they're connected through traditional interfaces such as SATA or SAS. And on the other hand, um, we also have SSDs as a more modern way of storing data. And these work completely different than a hard disk drive. So the SSDs internally are comprised of chips and have controllers and uh, have a very parallel access to the data. So there's no me mechanical movement inside. And the, the basic technology works similar like DRAM chips. So you have, um, you have a, like a much faster access. And because of that, also you can use faster interfaces um, in order to connect them. So these days, while you can of course also connect them through SAS or, or SATA, you can also connect them through uh, PCI Express, which will be a much faster way uh, or a much faster bus uh, where you, you can go to the data. And typically for the file system, the, the device looks just the same. So it will also be a block-based device, um, and, but the, the access yeah, performance is quite different because <clears throat> you can um, not, like you can write, data um, in smaller chunks or in smaller blocks. But you, if you, you, if you want to delete something, you have to delete larger blocks on the, on the device. So there's an, um, basically an asynchronicity and uh, disbalance between reads and writes and deletes on the, on the device. But however, we can also see that these, I mean, they were fairly expensive a couple of years ago, but the prices have rapidly dropped since it's they're getting more popular and more common. And these days, I mean, the hard disk drives are still significantly cheaper, but you can get fairly cheap devices um, already or comparatively uh, cheap devices already these days. So the prices have dropped much more significantly than for the HDDs in the last couple of years. And um, well, the, the hard disk drive, as we said, is the go-to device uh, for storage because we're talking about big data. So we, will, we want to store a lot of data and we don't want to do this cheap and still want to be able to access it. So an even cheaper way of storing data would be something like tapes, but then we cannot really access it in a, in a meaningful fashion because the access would just be too slow. So usually for very large data, we're going to disks. And the problem here is because of the moving parts uh, and the mechanical um, internals, uh, these drives also break quickly. And we've talked about this already in earlier videos, but here you can see some failure rates that uh, Black Blaze 
has Backblaze has published, and this is actually quite interesting because uh, Backblaze has like data centers with lots and lots of um, hard disk drives, and they publish numbers on uh, how frequently which drives break, etc., and also publish uh, some competitions to figure out to, uh, to see when will a drive break or not. And uh, here you can see that over the years, basically, um, you, during the first three years, you can see that 10% of drives fail. So we heard that in a Google data center, um, up to 5% of the drives die in the first year. And here we can see that 10% um, fail uh, over three years. So this basically just continues. And you have um, like, yeah, Essentially, you have a significant amount of drives failing, which means you have to deal with um, some kind of replication. You have to deal with these failures all the time if you have large amounts of uh, HDDs. So how does it happen or what, what's, what are the problems? Of course, you have the basic, um, the basic mechanical problems. So, if the, the drive spins and you have your head reading the data, what can happen if there's some kind of, you know, some kind of shaking or whatever, um, then the head can crash on the drive. Can even just happen because of some other vibration. Uh, and then the drive is broken and you cannot read anything from there. But however, uh, there's also bit rot. And this means uh, that the data silently is corrupted. So meaning that, well, because we have magnetic, um, small magnetic fields basically on these drives, which store the data, it can happen that the, the magnetic, magnetic, the magneticness goes away over time, meaning um, that all of a sudden your bits are inverted or lost there. And, the, the hard disk drives actually uh, have some, some failure recovery for this. So they have some error correction internally in order to, to cover up such small problems. However, um, still, uh, like if you have enough of these problems, then all of a sudden you will basically get uh, such uh, bit rot. So if you read and write enough data, then uh, eventually one or two bits will be permanently wrong and you won't be able to recover. And so um, there was a, actually a, a publication by Microsoft where they used 800 gigabyte hard disk drives and after two petabytes of reads, so just continuously reading these, file, uh, these drives, they said they saw four read errors. And um, so basically, then you have a problem. And in order to recover from something like this, you can use erasure codes, which we will cover later. Now we have the hard disk drives. Now let's use uh, it's, let's use them in the system. And for this, we use the file system. And file system, um, as we said, is an abstraction that gives you certain operations on the on the hard disk. So basically, um, from Let's say from a device point of view, the hard disk has uh, cylinders, different areas on the on the hard disk and where you can store data and this, this data will then just be areas of bits. And in order to use this in a more easy way, uh, we put the file system on top and 
The file system consists of files, directories, links, some metadata, and some blocks. So the files is where we actually store the data. The directories is a hierarchical structure where we put the files in order to be able to find them quickly. Then we can put links in order to find uh, information or go from one directory to another or link to a certain file. <clears throat> and we can have metadata about the files and the directories and logs. So we can ensure that only one user, for example, is changing a file at a time or uh, only certain users can actually read the files. And then we have for each file, we have the operations open, read, write, and close. So first we need to open it, then uh, we can write to it, we can read from it, and then we need to close it again. And while we do so, there is uh, locking so that nobody else will, will write the file at the same time. And you know this if you open a file in Windows, for example, or in Mac on your computer, and you're trying to delete it at the same time, it won't work because the file system protects this action. Then we have the directory operations, so we can create files, we can create directories, we can rename files in directories, and we can delete files in directories. And uh, so this, for example, is a file directory that you would typically see on a, here on the right side. Uh, that you would typically see in a Linux system. So you have the different kind of directories and the most important one for the user typically is the home directory where they will store their own data. For the system, we have different directories where the programs are located, also where the devices are located. So the Linux system will also map devices to locations in the file system for getting an access to them. And there's of course many different file systems and for disk systems, in Linux, uh, X4, 3, and 2 are common. And so typically these days you will use something like X4. Um, and then there's also JFS or journaling file system, XFS, etc. Lots of different systems. In Windows, you should know NTFS, which is the most common one, or the FAT32, which you often have on USB sticks, for example. We'll only cover X2 because um, that's for Linux is, is basically has the most important concepts and other file systems work similarly with a bit more elaborate functions and a bit more elaborate uh, yeah, techniques also for different kinds of devices. So in X2, a drive is partitioned into block groups and these are basically the partitions and each block group is then one area on the device. And the, the block group starts with a super block that has information on the file system. So how much, how many blocks do we have? Uh, what's the name? How much free space, etc. And that's at the start of every, uh, every block group. Then we have a bitmap for free blocks and for inodes. So to know which inodes and which um, blocks are free. So where can we write data? And we'll go to the inode. So this is an important concept. Uh, we'll talk about this next. So the inode is actually the index node. And um, yeah, these days it's, it's a name by itself, but it's, it came from index node. So it's a node that shows you a location of things in the, uh, in the block group. So of directories and of files. And uh, then after the inodes, we have the data blocks. And the data, basically what we have, the inodes represent directory entries 
and they represent pointers to the data itself. So within an inode, then we'll have a pointer, say, for example, to a certain uh, file on our disk. And because this is an old disk with X2, we have old data there. So some Star Wars memes, unicorns, and the dramatic chipmunk that not many of you might remember. Okay, so what's the inode? The inode has information about the owner and group identifiers, so who belongs this file to, which group does this file belong to, data about the length of a file, of the file type and access rights, and uh, the number, the total number of data blocks. So in order for us to be able to read this quickly, and then an array of 15 pointers uh, to the data blocks. And this is um, interesting, or let's say a bit special, how this is structured because you have um, 12 direct pointers. So 12 pointers will directly point to data blocks, uh, which then can store the data, but each block will only be one, two or four kilobyte in size. So this means there we cannot store a lot of data. But then we have a single indirect uh, block. So one block that points to a block that has points to blocks. Then we have double and triple indirect, and then a timestamp. And of course, in terms of file types, we can have uh, files, we can have directories, we can have symbolic links and sockets. And on the right side, you already see the, the implementation of this, so the interface uh, for the inode, where you can see, okay, we have the file mode, we have the size, we have the access time, creation time, etc. All the information that you would typically also find if you query this data. And the inode itself, um, or the, the index part of the inode um, is these 15 pointers. So the first 12, as I said, are direct pointers. So they will directly point to a data block. The 13th is the first indirect pointer. And here you can see that uh, this points to a data block, which then again uh, contains uh, pointers. And these pointers typically are four kilobyte, uh, four, four byte meaning that if we have a four kilobyte page, we can have 1,028, uh, uh, 24 pointers in there, um, meaning we can then have 1,024 uh, indirect blocks if we're using this first single indirect uh, pointer. And then we have a double indirect pointer, so which is the sec uh, second to last. And there we have a pointer to a block that contains pointers to blocks that contain pointer. And so here we can have uh, 1024 times 1024 blocks. And then we have the triple indirect blocks, which then have these uh, like a three level layer. And with this, we can store files in um, like if we have four kilobyte blocks, uh, we can store up to two terabyte size files in X2. Um, actually, we could go up to four terabytes with this structure, but two terabytes is uh, the maximum file size in X2. And uh, so let's look at an example. So here you can see the root directory. And if you have a Linux system and you query, um, you're listing the directory with, with uh, minus I, then you will see that there is actually, it will actually show you the different um, 
different inode numbers as well. So here I did this on my desktop and you can see that we have the directory as before and with the minus i, we can also see the individual inode numbers. And we can see that the proc and the sys directory um, both have the inode number one. And uh, the inode or the, the way we then find something in the file directory or in the directory is we go to the root inode. Um, so this would be the zero basically in this case. And um, then in there, uh, we have the, all of these different inode numbers with the names. And uh, then we can go from this inode, say for example, we want to go to the user directory. So you can see this on the left side, let me put the mouse here, right? So here uh, we're in the root directory, we want, want to go to the um, user directory. So we get the inode number six. The inode number six then is a descriptor for this file, which is again a directory. So it says, okay, this is a directory, has a size, has access time, creation time, etc., and gives us the index inode, which is 132, where then we go in order to, to find more information about this directory or the contents of this directory. So the contents of this directory, again, uh, I mean, this file is a directory. Um, so we'll find um, the other directory entries in, in here. So in the user, then um, we have, uh, for example, Jim, uh, Jim, Eric, Dick, and we want to go um, to uh, AST. So then we'll find the inode number 26 or we the pointer to inode 26. So we go to the inode number 26 look in there, we find uh, the file or the data block, which is 406. So we go to the data blocks 406 and so on and so forth. So then we find the data that we want. And um, I already said the maximum file size in X2 was two terabyte, which uh, when it was built was fairly reasonable. Uh, these days it gets a bit too small and also because uh, we, the maximum file system size uh, is 16 terabytes, which today, as we said, we can have a single disk, which is um, 20 terabytes. So then this becomes really too small. And uh, so modern file systems don't have this kind of limitation. And uh, so four kilobytes block size is a typical number, but of course um, earlier, we might have had smaller block sizes, so two kilobyte or one kilobyte, and then the file sizes and uh, file system sizes were actually even more restricted. And with that, you know how a basic file system works. Let's look at the network file system next. <laughs> 